Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's going on, guys? It's your boy Anthony alongside the best Big Three account in the universe, Big Three News, aka Will, back with another edition of the Fourth Man, a very exciting edition of the Fourth Man because we don't have a lot of news for you today, but we do have an awesome interview upcoming for you guys. And we're really excited about it. But before we get into the interview, before we get into some of the other things here, Will, my guy. My guy. How's it going? I mean, let me say this, you know, you're very kind to me and you start off every episode with I'm here with the best <laughs> big three count of the universe, which I'm not going to deny. Yeah, but you shouldn't. I will say this, though. I feel like I'm on the best big three podcast in the universe. Ooh. And yeah, I've said it on other podcasts. I've said it here. I've said it to people in the street. You really are the heart and soul of that. And maybe I'm just getting a little sappy because we have such a big episode. I feel like you know, we have a little bit of a Mount Rushmore of guests that we've always tried. And I feel like we've knocked off one of the four today and it delivered. We, well, we touched all, I feel like we hit a lot of emotions in that mm-hmm, interview mm-hmm. and we, a very wide a range of topics I will say was covered, but in the end, I'm super proud of how this came out and I'm super excited for everybody to listen to it. It's one of those episodes where I just feel like it's really, it's just the interview, really. Like yeah. you said, no really big news today or really no news in general, but we have the episode or we have the interview rather. And that really is the, our, this week's episode. And I think, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Yeah, couldn't agree. And let me just say this first. The podcast doesn't run without you. There's two people to the podcast. So give yourself a little bit more credit. You're part of the best big three account in the universe okay. and the best big three podcast there. So <laughs> make sure you're giving yourself the credit where it's due there. But like you said, Will, big, big interview, very, there was a little bit of motion there. One of the four Mount Rushmore's we think of, of the big three here. And we're going to let you guys hear that. But before we get into the interview and tell you, who we had on the show today, if you didn't already read the episode. As always, if you want to find the show on social media, at Fourth Man Pod, at Big Three News, at A underscore Siggy. And if you want to watch the show, it's on YouTube, youtube.com slash Fourth Man Pod. That's 4TH Man Pod. And for those of you listening on Dash Radio, appreciate you guys as always. Every Saturday, whether you're a first-time listener, whether you tune in every Saturday, either way, we greatly appreciate it. We just really appreciate everyone who's always coming through on the on the Nothing But Net channel and tuning in to us on their on their busy Saturdays. So let's just get to it. We interviewed Nancy Lieberman, big three coach of the year in 2018 for Team Power. She also won a championship that year. Oh, she's also in the Basketball Hall of Fame. A woman with many accolades, like Will said, it was emotional. It was fun. It was serious. I mean, we pretty much touched every – Every emotion everything, that we could. Everything. Yeah, everything. We, we I really feel like could. we started out pissed. And <laughs> yeah. then we like, you know, we got we got very worked up about some things that maybe we still need that still needs to be addressed. Uh not, not anything with the big three. You guys will know what we're talking about. Um, and then we were happy. And then I feel like there was a, a span where we were just laughing hysterically at like all the different yeah. stories that she was telling. And then it got a little sad, a little touching. We were sort of remembering the people that we've lost uh, in between these seasons. And then but at the end of the day, I think the overarching theme of this was just how excited all three of us were for the return of the big three and the return of power. And we all know it's going to be a good season. So, but, you know, like you said, Anthony, this was a guest that we've been trying to have on for a long time. And this was a day that we don't know if we knew it was coming. So, you know, we're excited and we're happy for it. Yep. Big shout out to Nancy for coming onto the show. And again, not really a lot of content, the best piece of content we've probably seen is Brian Scalabrini going in on a high school kid as recently as today. So let's just jump right into it. Here's Nancy Lieberman. Okay. Okay. Today we have a very special guest on here. 
welcoming on a woman who's broken many barriers over her career and continues to do so. Basketball Hall of Famer, two-time Olympian, 2018 Big Three Coach of the Year and 2018 Big Three Champion. Nancy Lieberman, we appreciate you coming on. We know you're very busy, so we really appreciate the time you're spending with us. My pleasure. Uh, anytime. Anything uh, that I can do for you guys is worth my effort. Thank you very much. Well, just want to start here. We know that you're recently recovering from knee replacement surgery there, been seeing the rehab process. Looks like it's going well. Just want to ask you on your end, how, how's that going and how you're feeling? Thanks for asking me. Uh, it's uh, it's never easy the, when you start thinking about, my gosh, knee replacement, you know, this is kind of part of who I am as an athlete. But, uh, you know, I've eked out the best of, of my career uh, with this body. So um, I'm uh, four and a half months in. I feel great. You see the videos. I'm trying to push myself uh, a little bit more each and every day. So I I'm thankful for everybody at, at Bill for It who have been pushing me beyond what I could have thought. Good to hear. Good to hear. Well, we are a very big three centric podcast, obviously, but we feel like we'd be doing you a little bit of a disservice if we didn't talk about some points in your career uh, leading up to the big three. So just kind of want to start with a little bit of your coaching background uh, and more specifically within the NBA. And from a broader perspective, we know that you've been an assistant in Sacramento. You're a head coach for the Texas Legends in the D-League. What kind of aspects of coaching, like through your times there, do you feel like you've implemented into the big three coaching style, if there are any? Well, you know, I, I'll have to take it back even a, a, a few years before that, because I cut my teeth on the WNBA with the Detroit Shock back, you know, 25 years ago, the inaugural season, uh, when I was hired uh, in, in, in our second season in 98, I should say, uh, to be the head coach and GM of uh, the Shock. So that was the 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 beginning of my coaching career where I was kind of forming who I was going to be, you know, what my style was going to be and what, will, you know, what the expectation was for the players that were going to play for us. And so then every step of the way you learn something, you know, I've had so many coaches in my playing career. I wanted to take what I enjoyed, what I thought was successful from other coaches. And quite frankly, I visited with a lot of my friends. Uh, it could have been, uh, Bob Knight, it could have been Pat Summit, it could have been Tara Vanderveer, it uh, could have been, you know, Rick Bettino or Del Harris, just to chat and try and figure out what exactly is my style and how would I know? And then, you know, taking all those experiences and bringing it to the, the big three was uh, pretty phenomenal. And look, my guys were coached as if they, as if they were still playing in the NBA. Uh, from the analytics uh, to the film to, you know, just every part of it was exactly what I had to do in Sacramento in preparing uh, our players when it was my responsibility for that scout. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm glad you brought up the WNBA, more specifically the inaugural season, because, you know, the WNBA continues to progress and develop toward greater heights here. But when you were first entering the WNBA during that inaugural season, and you see it today, how did, right, let's take it back to that inaugural season. How did you envision it turning out, you know, 20 years later? How do you think they've done? And, you know, what are your kind of your thoughts on the WNBA's progression? Well, first I would say that every uh, player, coach, personnel, support staff who's ever come through the WNBA over the last 25 years, was a debt of gratitude to the late David Stern because David thought about this back in the early 80s. And I can remember when he invited me to New York uh, when I was about 24 years old and we're sitting in his office um, and he closes the door and he goes, I closed it because I don't want them to fire me. He is before I'm done with my time in the NBA, there's gonna be a W, a WNBA. And I looked at him like, really? And I, I, you know, he, he believed so much in women and equality and women's sports, but I do remember him looking at me and saying, my only hope is that you'll still be around to play. And, I, you know, you're 24 and you think you're going to play forever. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, of course I'm going to be around to play. Well, when I got, when it got started in 97, I was 39. So, you know, I was just kind of hanging on to it's a lot of part of my career, but I am very, very proud 
uh, to have been a part of the in, in, inaugural class of the WNBA. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, just about the point in time in your career when you joined the WNBA because you broke the record twice for being uh, the oldest WNBA player. Uh, I guess, what was that process like when the WNBA was finally getting ready to start up? How did they approach you? Were you on the fence initially or was it just something that you were all in as soon as you heard about it? Well, there was the ABL mm-hmm. at the time and they were paying higher salaries. And then there was the WNBA and they, the salaries were slightly lower, especially for the, the elite draft. Um, and I can remember picking up the phone once and calling a friend of mine uh, named Kevin Costner. And I said, Kevin, uh, there's going to be a WNBA. I mean, just kind of, you know, just discussing it with you. Should I take more money and play in the other upstart league or should I take a little less and play in the, the WNBA? And without hesitation, he said to me, Nancy, right now, because you played AIEW, you were not in the NCAA. All of your records, all of your championships, everything you did, did not count. You don't want that to happen twice. So that was the end of the discussion. I knew I had to go to the WNBA. I mean, that's definitely that's definitely a great point. And I guess sort of to reflecting off what you just said, you know, do you sort of look at that like your records and your championships don't count because it was sort of like, a, a, you know, a different NCAA, something that maybe isn't as prevalent nowadays? Or well, do you let see Let me it? ask you a question. Sure. The ABA, where Julia Servin and George McGinnis and, and all these guys, Hall of Famers played, why should their records from the ABA be in the NBA right now? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, as a Nets fan, that's the only thing that I'm holding on to (laughs) for right now are those ABA banners. But I do agree with you. It was a different league and especially the ABA NBA, different rule set, the three point shot, the dunk. So I definitely do see your argument there. Well, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm for whatever is fair, but uh, I believe it's 157 of my friend Pat Summit's wins at Tennessee were AIW. Mm -hmm. And she, for the longest time, was the all-time leading, you know, wins for a coach. Well, if Pat's wins counted, why don't the players that won those games for her count? Right. When, you know, so that's my my only rub. And I get a lot of attention all the time. And so does Ann Myers or Lynette Woodard or, you know, some of the people that were able, were fortunate enough, you know, to, to have some visibility. But to me, it's laziness on the part, now I don't want to even say the NCAA, the universities, go dig up our records. Old Dominion is not a one-time national champion. We're a three-time national champion. We won back-to-back championships. Don't compare, um, you know, uh, Sabrina Inescu's, you know, uh, records to just the NCAA players, you should put her records up against the totality, the history of the game, the Ann Myers, the Blaze Jowski, the Lucy Harris's, the Nancy Lieberman's. You want to, you want your records to go up against the best of the best, not just because the NCAA, you know, merged us, you merge all that together. You don't separate it. And so, I mean, honestly, I mean, I think it, it's, it's, it's bullshit to be yeah, quite yeah. honest because you ask me to come to the NCAA tournament to speak or to do TV. You ask Ann Myers and some of the, the, the great legends of the game. We're Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't get to not include me in the history of women's collegiate basketball. Right. Shame on you. It's, I, I did my job. Now do your job. That's the way I see it. I 100% agree. And damn know, straight, I would say there's <laughs> yes. a ton of issues within the NCAA as we're seeing, even that's prevalent today. I mean, obviously, we see the, the issue with the college athletes and NCAA trying to claim them as property or, or whatever the case is. So I 100% agree. And then what you were saying with the ABA and the NBA, you don't talk about the totality of men's basketball without some of the legends there. But that's be- the leadership. That's the yeah. difference between 
having Adam Silver or having, you know, the late David Stern recognize that Julius Irving and some of these amazing players just happened to play in another league, but it was still, you know, at that level. And the NCAA does not have that leadership right now. And, uh, you know, I'm so happy that people are standing up and saying what they feel about that conglomerate. Yeah. And I'm glad that athletes and, and just personnel in general have that voice. And, you know, with the help of social media and some other aspects as, you know, the world continues to evolve, just being able to voice your opinion, you know, with such a prominent stage is so key to everything that's going on. And I'm just glad that people are, or I should say athletes are using it for the right reason there. I wanted to, before we get into the big three here, because I know that is going to be a majority of our conversation. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit just about the NBA, because I feel like the big three started out as an idea where a lot of NBA veterans were coming into the league to continue their playing career, just not at the, I guess, at the scale of the NBA. But what we've seen over, I guess, the past few years is that NBA teams seem to be, or I guess, showing more interest into potential young talent over the NBA vets, like the older players that have had so much success in, the, in their career and how much, you know, they've been able to help young players throughout, but somehow they're always being overlooked there. And some, and for you, someone who played as a 39 year old rookie, and then once again, played when she was 50, you know, you know, you understand the, the importance of having a veteran on a team there. So I want to ask your opinion, you know, what do you think of this new era that favors like that young prospect with potential over an experienced veteran that has had tons of, you know, has had tons of experience within the NBA? don't win with youth, you win with veteran leadership, but you must have the young legs. You must have that player who's, who's just coming out and wants to prove themselves. And it's, it's a tricky blend, but it's very doable. And uh, I think, you know, some of the older players might see the younger players coming in and it's okay. You know, it's wherever you are individually in your career, you know, are you, uh, you know, Katino uh, Mobley, are you, um, you know, somebody who might be in their early 40s who still has it and can still play and still wants to compete? Um, you know, Abdul Roth, right? Is he going to be 50 this year when he plays? In the Something league? like that, yeah. I think he might be 51. 51, 52, <laughs> might be. Yeah, he was 50 last year. He's a machine. I mean, his work ethic, he's unbelievable. I have such respect for how he goes about his business. And I get it because I did what he did. So to blend in some of these young guys now, and I think, uh, you know, the leadership Ice Cube and, and, and Clyde, they see that you have to, you just can't have the stalwarts of the, the NBA. You have to start blending in some of these young players who people are gonna fall in love with their talent. They're mm -hmm. really good. Mm -hmm. I just think it's so odd because I, or I guess I should say, I don't feel like there's enough of a blend because we look at the Miami Heat, how much they, they, you know, appreciate everything Udonis Haslam has done for them. But then, you know, Joe Johnson has a great big three season, MVP season and goes into the NBA. And I felt like the Pistons kind of favored a younger guy. And now, now looking back at it, it was Christian Wood and we know what he's done, but look, look, you know, they favored Christian Wood over the experience of Joe Johnson, who, as recently as yesterday, I'm still hearing young guys like Cole Anthony talk about, or I should say Cole Anthony and Michael Carter-Williams talking about, you know, how underrated he was and just how much he brought to a team. So I just feel like the, I guess there could be more of a blend. Maybe we're a little biased because we're such big three fanatics and we understand and appreciate the, the bets there, but that's just kind of my take on it. It's uh, the big threes. Uh, unbelievable. What a great league. Let me, let me just say this. I know we're talking about, you know, players and talent and age. But if you are an older player and you have given your life to the NBA and to the culture of professional basketball, it's hard to walk away from the game. Think about how many athletes actually retire these days. Either there's too much money on the table to retire or maybe an injury forces you to retire. So you go from that and then the cheering in most cases stop. it stops. 
The, the big three is also great for your mental health, uh, letting your kids see what you did for a living because you know, you weren't, you're not playing 82 games, you're not on the road for half of the time. It, you know, we wanted wives, girlfriends, significant others, children, you know, grandparents, grandpa. We wanted dads in the locker room. We wanted kids to see what their dad did for a living and the greatness of who they are. Now, 20, you know, 30 minutes before the game, I mean, everybody has to get out. We have to do our job. Don't be calling in the locker room because you don't like where your tickets are. You handle that, mom. Mm-hmm. But we, we, it was really important to us that they had a landing place because, you know, mental health is real. And a lot of people have had problems with that. And now you're like, you were the, the guy and now you're not playing anymore. So this league is really vital. It, it's a beautiful step mm-hmm. for a player to resume their career. You don't have to go up 94 feet. I mean, in that, but the essence of the game is, is three on three that we, we grew up playing one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three. You never see 10 people on one side of the court, right? You mm-hmm. see three and two. Mm-hmm. And this is a very strategic game. And that's why, to your point, the veterans, they're so savvy about how they have been able to play in those crucial moments. And, and then you add these young players and you impart your wisdom on it. And all of a sudden you have a secret sauce. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great transition into some of the big three conversation. I We usually start here because... We always want to know how you get involved with the big three or how the opportunity came about. So with that being said, how did you find out about the big three and was it an easy decision just like the WNBA was? Well, the the big three, the way it actually turned out for me is I was coaching, it was 2017 and I was with the Kings. My mother got sick and I was in the locker room. We had a game in Denver and boom, I left my stuff in the locker room and said, take it home on the jet. And I flew to Florida to be with my mother, who was like 88 at the time. And they thought she was going to, they thought she was uh, going to die. And it was, it was hard. And when you have so much responsibility as an assistant coach, it's not like I can turn around and and ask Corliss Williamson to do my job or to handle my scout or to my player personnel. He's got, he swamped himself. And you have guys that, you know, uh, by and large end up, they're your guys. Like I had Rondo and, and Bellinelli and Omri Caspi and, and Rudy Gay and some of these guys who were phenomenal, phenomenal players, but really great human beings. And you have to cultivate those relationships. Like, uh, again, I, and I should add Seth Curry. So I almost felt guilty leaving the team for a couple of weeks. And then coming back, and then you know it was just me and Becky in in 2017. Right. There, there weren't you know ten women in the league. It was just mm-hmm. us, and I felt a responsibility. And at the end of the season, I remember talking to Vlade and just sharing that I wasn't going to be able to come back. You know, Sacramento's on this side of the country, Florida's on the other, mm-hmm. and I needed to have the ability on a moment's notice to get on a plane and go. So, you know, it's that old thing, you know, family and, and, uh, and oh, job, yeah. faith and of course. What comes. And I chose my, I chose my mother. So I didn't know if I'd ever coach again. It's very competitive. And there's some brilliant assistant coaches in the NBA. And it's 2018. I just started to do a, a little TV for the New Orleans Pelicans. And uh, I'm watching the NCAA tournament. I'm literally, this is a true story. Wow. I'm watching straight out of Compton. <laughs> and I'm watching and I'm flipping back to the men's tournament. And then my phone rang and it was kind of a restricted call. And I picked it up and it, it ended up being Ice Cube. And I'm like, hi, you know, what, do I, what do I call you? Do I call you Mr. Ice? Do I call you Mr. Ice? I call you. And um, the only way I knew about the big three is the year before in 2017, I was at home. And Rick Barry called me and he said, hey, I'm coaching in this thing called the Big Three. We're playing in Dallas on, I think it was Saturday or Sunday. He said, I'd like to leave you and TJ tickets to go to the game. I said, that'd be great. Rick calls me back like 10 minutes later and goes, forget it. Just coach with me. Sit on the bench. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'm like, serious? You can do that? 
So I go to the AAC here in Dallas and it's sold out. There's like 17,000 people. You know, it's like going to a, you know, a wrestling or, you know, UFC. I mean, the smoke, the mirrors, the video board, it, the music. It was, talk about overstimulation. <laughs> and I'm walking back behind the locker rooms and there's, you know, uh, Gary Payton and there's Rick Barry, you know, there's a Dr. J, all my friends. Yeah. I had, you know, known George Gervin. We're, we're in the Hall of Fame class of 96 together. And then I see LL Cool J and I go, hey, LL. He goes, hi, Nancy. And I was like, how did we never meet? We're Queens kids, you know, from New York. <laughs> yeah. And we just started talking. It was so natural. And the players were so fantastic. And I was very fortunate, uh, you know, to have the MVP, you know, the, the next year. Mm -hmm. and, and Corey and Catino and Big Baby, uh, one of the best teammates, you know, Birdman, Chris Anderson and Quentin Richardson. We had uh, Xavier Silas. We had such an incredible group of, of men and all had like that singular focus of what we wanted to do together. So I knew. And then I go to coach and I'm the coach of Team Power. And I just I fell in love with this and it's so funny because you know now it's it was the mamba uh, academy i fly to la i meet with the guys i have a whole playbook for them and they're like like what's that it's all right and we, <laughs> we were we were just all on the same page it was phenomenal from that first time that i i had the group together and they had taken care of their bodies this is, this is not grandpa's old timers day, a game at Yankee stadium where everybody's like, you know, 80, right. these guys are good and they're strong and they want to win. And there's a lot on the line and every game was a battle. It's phenomenal. We're, we're all so thankful to, yes. to ice cube for this mm -hmm. opportunity. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, and I'll say this, Coach, I've said this a hundred times on the podcast, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say it with you here, but in my opinion, you really set the standard for what a big three team or a championship, a championship winning big three team is all about, you know, from the coaching to the culture, even though we say, we talk about culture a lot in organizations in the NBA, and we say, oh, this is just, you know, seven or eight up to, you know, maybe 15 people total, but you really did bring in a new culture and just you could see it the way the power prepared. They prepared differently, and the results were very evident on the court. And you give a lot of credit to your players right there, but I'm very curious as to, you know, and I'm sure it was by design on your part. What did you bring in? What were sort of the things you did to instill that culture and prepare your guys? And I guess, you know, what went into that? There was a lot of trust. There was a lot of respect. There was a lot of belief in what we did together. We all had high expectations. There was communication. Uh, you know, this is okay. This is what I think matches your skill set. Tell me what you think. I mean, you, you can't just, you know, you can't have just, you know, uh, one tool in your toolbox and a hammer as a coach. You have to, you, you know, these are, these are grown men and they've been in championship situations. So uh, babies want a ring, uh, Birdman won two rings. Uh, I wanted to make sure that everybody had a voice. You know, uh, it's a player's league. Uh, we want to be able to hear what they have to say. Um, but the trust and the respect that they showed me allowed me to come in with a professional playbook and back it up with, you know, what we did. So they were never unprepared for any situa situation. So it, it worked well for all of us. One, I guess, game plan that you had that I really enjoyed watching was the, and we call on this podcast, we call it like the death lineup, was Katino Mobley, <laughs> Glenn Davis, and Chris Anderson. And I feel like you would bring in that lineup specifically when like you needed to go on a run or just when you needed to like, all right, like we need to ice this game. This game needs to be over. Is Was that a conscientious choice? Are we, are Anthony and I just seeing things or was that, you know, is that something that was going on on the power sidelines? Oh, uh, we, everybody had their role. Obviously we had the MVP and Corey McGetty and Corey could change the game like that. Not only was he our captain, um, but Catino is the head of the snake. I mean, Catino is like a mad scientist. 
a baby is nimble like a little you know ballerina get that picture in your mind okay? <laughs> a tutu on baby we already baby. got him with the image of him stripping in a game and i got that live so yeah, but i was there so um <laughs> And, you know, Birdman, like I said, is the consummate uh, role player. I mean, it was, it, was, it was Birdman that came to me and said, hey, I think Baby should be starting. This was like the, the first or second game. He goes, just start Baby. I'm used to coming off the bench. He had an incredible game. I believe it was in Miami. And, you know, the, you bring your, your stars of the game to the press conference. And he played amazing and he walks in the press conference, he's sitting at the podium with us and he goes, what do I do? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, I've never been in a post, <laughs> a post game. <laughs> wow. You know, he was just so funny and so humble and everybody, like I said, knew their role, but that was, those guys just blended together and they would give us something. And then you come back with Corey or, you know, Quentin Richardson, I mean, he's a sniper. He's mentally tough. He's strong as heck. You don't want to get into a fight with him, okay? You don't because, you know, he's Southside Chicago. <laughs> as I always say, know your personnel. Yeah. Figure out where somebody came mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. uh, and everybody just had such a significant role that it made it so enjoyable. And, and quite frankly, every, every, after every game, we all went out together. Yeah. We had dinner after every game in every city together. And we just, uh, we were a family and we still are. That's amazing. That's really you awesome. know what I love? Yeah, it, it's, it's just the unselfishness of all of you guys. I mean, here you are attributing, you know, the success of the team, like mostly to the players. And when we had, Cor when we had Corey on, I, I guess at this point, can't really remember if it was two years ago or one year ago, but when we had Corey on, I mean, he was the same way. I'm very unselfish. Oh yeah, Nancy did this to bring in and still the culture. Everyone else did this. But the biggest thing was like going out after games and just having that life outside of basketball and just coming together as a family. And I just, I just love that. I think that's what draws Will and I into, you know, being such big fans of power is, is that culture is what you guys bring to the table is the fact that you guys are always seem to be at the top through the first three seasons, um, even before you were the coach. And Absolutely. It's just, it's just so great to see, you know, week in and week out what you guys bring to the table. And I think the most impressive thing, you know, specifically about last year was the fight that you guys had with all the injuries, uh, with all the makeup, the different personnel you guys were bringing in. I'm sure that had to be tough, uh, especially like after the game against triplets where it seemed like you guys were finally healthy again outside of Birdman. And then to see, you know, Catino go down, he was already fighting an injury then, you know, Corey was still coming back. So just very, very impressive. Um, and before we get into the, the, the 2019 season there, because um, I, I jumped ahead a little bit, but I do want to ask you, you know, just uh, as you're signing on with the big three, they, you know, you do become the first woman to coach a men's professional league, continue to break those bar barriers. But just, and I know you've told this story a million times, but I just want to hear from you again here on the podcast. I mean, what, what does it mean to you and what does that say about the big three to view you just, you know, as a human being, as a coach, outside of everything else? Well, it just says to me that, uh, you know, Ice Cube and the leadership group of the big three, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who talk about, you know, equality and inclusion and opportunity until it actually comes to hire somebody and then they hire their friend, which we've done before. I get it. But to not only hire me, and, and I can remember asking, you know, Q, why are you hiring me? Are you trying to check a box? And he goes, no, uh, I believe in inclusion. I believe in equality. And from the day I signed, I was the highest paid coach in the big three. I got exactly what Dr. J made and, you know, Rick Mahorn and, and Rick Barry and all the other coaches in the league. And that was very important that my agent didn't have to go in and negotiate my salary. And, uh, you know, and the last thing with Cube is when I asked him about checking the box, he said, no, I think you can win. I said, then I'm in. I wanted to hear you say you think I could help these men win. And that's very important to me. 
And that's kind of how it's always been. Uh, he's one of the most unbelievable, iconic figures in the world, Ice Cube. He's so versatile and he's so accessible. And, you know, he, he's called me his spirit animal. You know, we honored him at my charity um, event uh, a couple years ago. And he said he was going to be there and he showed up. That's all you need to know. And, you know, he just, he's a great father. He's a great husband. He's a brilliant man. Uh, he loves philanthropy. You know, he, he loves being a man of color and taking care of his community. And I respect that um, more than you can ever, you know, ever understand. So I will always be a Ice Cube uh, fan, friend, and I work for him. It's an honor. Yeah, much respect from us to him as well. Just, you know, like Will and I always say, everything he touches turns to gold. I mean, he really <laughs> does have that Midas touch. And it's truly incredible how versatile he is. And uh, I want to talk about the 2019 season, but we got to talk about the, the 2018 championship game. A game like no other. You obviously had a great season. 2018 Big Three Coach of the Year. You got the MVP, had the Defensive Player of the Year. Pretty much everything you can ask for. But you do run into a great threes company team led by Andre Emmett. I mean, the they're really the only team that's ever been the lower seed and, and been able to upset uh, the higher seed there and make it to the championship game, which was super impressive. But there was a lot of chippiness in that game. I want to I want to know, you know, after the chippiness between Dante and Corey, what was the message to them? Because after that, it was a whole different ball game. I mean, the score doesn't tell, you know, how dominant you guys were throughout that championship game. Well, we came out flat in that game, and we knew that they were very good, and we knew they were well coached. And uh, Michael certainly knows how to win a championship or two, right, <laughs> Michael Cooper? And uh, I have a lot of respect for him. And Andre, over the course of two years, I mean, Andre became like my son. I mean, we flew almost every flight for two years together. We came, became very, very close. So to play against him and to see his success, um, the sadness that I um, feel with the loss of, of Andre uh, is, is unfathomable, to be quite honest. But we were flat and Corey, to his credit, who really doesn't get confrontational, wasn't taking anything from anybody. And I, to this day, believe, and you can probably get Catino to uh, corroborate this, but I think Catino started the fight on purpose. Uh, mm. he, he did that to get us fired up. And I can remember them and Dante coming together and me running in the middle. And I think it was Xavier Silas. He's like, coach, man, you need to get out of here. And I was <laughs> right in the middle and people were like, I was like a little pinball you know just going back and forth and finally they broke it up so I got to tell you a story I'm going to get back to this I mean you know I do the tv for the Oklahoma City Thunder right. I'm in I'm having dinner downtown Dallas last week and I'm walking out of Nobu and uh, the restaurant into the Crescent where all the NBA we our team stay so I'm walking in and these three guys are looking at me and this one guy goes Nancy and he pulled his, I'm like, it's Chauncey Billups. The Clippers are in town playing the Mavericks. And then there's Dante Jones and, oh. and Ty Lue. And I think, uh, I think uh, uh, Coach Rogers, he's a big guy. I, I didn't know him. And we're hugging and we're kissing. I'm like, Dante, this is awesome. And I have a lot of respect for him. And I said, I haven't seen you since the championship game in Barclays when you guys are in a fist fight. And <laughs> And I go, and, and, and you know, Chauncey and, and Ty Lue look at him. I go, yeah, I hadn't seen him since we won the championship and we beat them at, you know, at the Barclays Center. And, you know, I, we, you know we were talking about the, the, the fight that went on and whatnot. And he just looks at me and I'm like, you know, if you have time, you can come in the house and hold the trophy if you want. I have it. Right now. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's crazy. That was last week. Sure, you got a crazy. little bit of a smug look there from him. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, it's good to see you again. Let's exchange numbers. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, it was a great game. Uh, that morning I had gone out. I had gone to Rucker Park where I grew up, you know, for the 
good portion of my uh, adolescence playing uh, over at Rucker. I just decided I was going to drive over there and take some shots and just shoot with kids. And it was really, uh, I was born in Brooklyn. So to be playing in front of all those fans at Barclays and seeing everybody there and, and winning. And, and, you know, when, uh, here was another troublesome moment in my career. Catino hits the shot and he dives on the floor and everybody runs to dive on him. And Xavier Silas and I are on the bench and I got my little, kitten heels on and I'm like click clippity clap clip. and I'm running towards the pile and as I'm running towards the pile I'm like should I wait for them to get up should I dive on top <laughs> this is going through my head up I am and I was like screw it and I do top of the guys um it was hysterical and and the time uh, we won I think it was when we beat the triplets we were five and oh Mm -hmm. um before yeah, go everybody got hurt and baby scores and he comes running and he picks me up and he's spinning me around and i'm like glenn put me down glenn <laughs> put me down glenn, i don't like the teacups put me down right <laughs> now. And said, when you put me down don't let me go i don't want to fall <laughs> he was cold i'm sorry coach i'm sorry coach i go Okay, I just don't want to fall. <laughs> so yeah, so we we had some really great times <laughs> with their team. What a moment! Yeah, it, it was it was unbelievable. Well, coach, I'm gonna say for the 2020 season at least, got to make sure I got like everyone keeps their pants on. You know, throughout the season, we had Catino who's fighting with his pants off. And obviously we know the story with, with Glenn there, but it seems like a, a, an issue with power. The only issue really with power. <laughs> I, mean, with Glenn, I mean, that situation was real. Um, it was the first time we were wearing gray uniforms and gray is not in his color wheel. And he just <laughs> felt like Fair play of course. his potential in gray. It's, it's to do anything for him. Yeah, fair enough. That's hilarious. Didn't do anything for, I, I guess, the, this conversation with the referee as well. <laughs> <laughs> did not, did not uh, see eye to eye there. Uh, so 2019, you know, we talked about the success that you you did have, you know, albeit there was a, a ton of injuries, as I mentioned before. How, how do you, I mean, how are you able to get the team together and, you know, create that chemistry and ultimately be one of two teams to, to make the playoffs every single year of the big three's existence. And we're, we're actually very proud of that. I'm very proud of our players because you should be. like I said, we were five and zero oh before the injuries. Corey had missed like our first three games. Yeah. Games Remember that. Corey comes back, you know, he hits that game winning shot uh, against the triplets. We felt really good about ourselves. And then, you know, uh, Chris goes down with the torn ACL. Then my smartest player, becomes my most upsetting player to me because uh, the way uh, Catino tore his quad uh, in between, you know, games, they work out, you know, so they can kind of keep, you know, their rhythm. Mm -hmm. And I guess he and baby are playing at UCLA and Ben Simmons was there and they threw a ball, I guess, to, uh, to cat. And he went up instead of just laying it in, he wanted to show Ben Simmons he could dunk. And that's wow. when he tore his quad. Wow. And baby's calling me. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Glenn's calling me. And he goes, coach. And I'm like, Glenn, what? I could just hear it in his voice. And he goes, uh, Catino got hurt. I'm like, what are you talking about? So when Catino got hurt, that was the beginning of the end. Because now, you know, Corey is just giving everything he can on like one leg. Catino's mm -hmm. not there. Uh, you know, baby needed the support of those veterans. So we bring in, you know, Michael Thompson, we bring in a boozer, we brought in Julian Wright, you know, you might as well slap the tag on it says, hello, my name is, I mean, we just went, then we brought Pargo in, we just really struggled um, with getting, you know, players uh, we there's there's no practice time and it was hard to mesh, but I'm so proud of those guys. They never quit. They played their behinds off. We made it to the playoffs. And unfortunately for us, you know, uh, 
we didn't have what we needed to win. Had our guys been healthy, I still say to this day, we would have won the, the championship, but the triplets did win. They played great. And Joe was Joe. Well, credit to you guys, too, because you talk about the names you brought in. Pargo, although he's there for a very brief stint, he is looking to be one of, like, the better probably draft prospects heading into this season. Julian Wright, I felt, was solid for you guys all season. And Michael Thompson, I mean, you know he has the DNA of, like, you know, champions. So I don't think that's ever a bad pickup, no matter what spot you're in. I, I agree with you. We, we loved having those guys on the team. You know, one of the things – Fargo had so much respect for Corey and baby that he didn't want to impose his will. And I was like, you know, you have to, you know, just do what you do. Nobody's going to get mad at you if nobody can guard you. He's unbelievable. Matter of fact, my son TJ is playing over in uh, Tel Aviv for Maccabi and he and Fargo played against each other the other day. And it was great because even that last season, we were here in Dallas um, getting ready for the playoffs. And Corey was like, hey, um, I'm going to call TJ. Why don't you let TJ put us through practice tomorrow, you know, meaning Friday? And I went, that would be awesome. And I don't know if you realize that, that TJ sat on the bench uh, that day. Uh, in, um, he coached with me in the game in uh in dallas so it was really cool because we really are a family organization and uh, to have my kid out there and to have my players have so much respect for tj and to have them put him through practice he's he's you know has a good friendship with baby and fargo and and you know Corey and catino so it's really it was really kind of neat very cool i want to talk about one game specifically because I know I brought this up, the big baby game in Atlanta. Didn't go as planned necessarily. I can't remember exactly, but I felt like there was like maybe the team as a whole was just – I don't, I don't want to say upset and put words in anyone's mouth, but it didn't – that day didn't go as planned. And then week four, you guys play ghost ballers and have a really good game. Big baby comes back. And at the end of the game, big baby comes up to you and gives you this almighty bear hug. Um, what I'm talking about. Just like a little bit. Is that the one you were talking about earlier when he said, don't put me down? <laughs> what? I was like, no, do put me down. <laughs> or do put me down, I should say. But yeah, that was the game. And he was like, coach, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. That's what I wanted to ask about. Was that more about the, you know, the reconciliation of you guys? I mean, I'm sure there was no bad blood, but I, I felt like you were maybe a little upset with how Big Baby went about that day. You know, we're human beings. And we, life happens, whether we're basketball players, we just happen to play it on a stage where people can see us. You know, he, he's a dad. He has a beautiful daughter, um, a good mom. You know, things happen in people's lives. And it happens to me and it happens to everybody else. But, you know, you, you have to be there for your team. They are my family. And I'm going to make sure that I'm there for them, whether it's a good day or a bad day. They need to know that we care and not just, you know, when they're helping to win championships. So baby had, baby had a tough day in Atlanta and, you know, it was hard on everybody, but we love them. You know, we weren't happy with what happened, but, you know, to his credit, you know, he, he called and he said, I'm sorry. I know it was, you know, wasn't my best moment. And we're like, Glenn, we love you. We got, you know, we got a game next week. Just go home. Just take a breath. Relax. If you need me, you call me at any you know, time of the day or night. That's how we are with one another. I love that. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, shifting the conversation a little bit, sort of looking into the future of power. You have a very interesting season coming up in 2021. We're really not too sure what a lot of teams are going to look like. I'm assuming that power is going to stay, stay mainly the same, even though you guys are, though, I think guys like Chris Anderson, if he does decide to come back, Quentin Richardson would have to be acquired in the draft. Um, but one person you guys did pick up was Royce White. I'm sort of curious behind what that scouting process was like, that selection process with Royce White, what you're thinking he's going to bring to the team because you are looking to replace an MVP candidate in court, or excuse me, an MVP winner, I should say, in Corey McGetty and someone who is a serial MVP candidate. So what, you know, I guess, what was the selection process behind with choosing Royce White? like everything about him. He's big, he's strong, he can play multiple positions, he's very bright. 
Uh, he can shoot the ball. He's a, a tough defender. And people sometimes don't realize this. He is not a good passer. Royce White is a great passer. Absolutely. And we wanted somebody like him who could move the ball to the open player. And he's, he's young. He's got young legs. And, you know, he's chomping at the bit uh, to play. So, you know, we're looking forward uh, to having him. Um, he and I have had a lot of dialogue together. Uh, the same with uh, Baby and, and Catino. Catino has been training, um, you know, since he was healthy, you know, as far as he could get healthy and, and rehab his quad. So he's excited about coming back as well. And we'll just see, you know, who else, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if Birdman's going to play again. That ACL was pretty tough on him. Uh, we miss him. Uh, Q Rich, like I said, he, he's unbelievable. Until you coach him, you have no clue what he brings to a team. And it's not just his outside shot, his wow. professionalism, his kindness, uh, just how he raises the level of expectation. He's tough as nails. And, you know, one of the things with us, you know, iron sharpens iron. We want those kind of people on our team. When you sort of approach Royce White or let's say like a Pargo or even a Julian Wright, it, do you go out of your way? Is that like one of the biggest bulletin points? You say, hey, listen, we're a big three team, but this isn't a thing where you show up for a week and then we're like, all right, see you next week. We, we have high expectations for you, not just on the court, but off the court. Yeah, uh, it's my job to help them not only uh, get to whatever their next level is as a player, but my, my job is to help them grow and become the, the men they want to be and to be a part of that. So, you know, again, we have a, a different, it's a family and it's a culture that we, we have and we create and we all own. And, you know, uh, they feel the same way about myself. We're part of their family. They check in, uh, they, you know, I want to know what their kids are doing. I'm FaceTiming with their kids or their wives or girlfriends or, you know, but that's, that's kind of what we do. I don't know what other teams do. But, you know, when we were looking for somebody for a golf, one of the first things I did was, you know, we talked about Pargo. And then I called my son, TJ, who's playing against him in Israel. I said, tell me about Jeremy Pargo. He goes, get him now, right now. I'll hang up. <laughs> wow. And that's, that was a great scouting report. Because <laughs> TJ is not going to, you know, throw a name at me and say, uh, you know, you, you don't really need him or I'm not sure. TJ knows. And that's what I do. Like, I'll run players by him and say, what do you think? You know, I'll talk to, you know, Corey or Catino, our captains. We're always in communication with one another. That's great. From a broader spectrum, and I'll kind of wrap up the bigger three conversation here, but from a broader spectrum, just talking about strong selling points to, to players. When we under, we've talked about the progressive movements of the big three, including, you know, equality and inclusion. Do you feel like that's a strong selling point to just players, or I should say from the big three's perspective as a whole? I mean, when you're reaching out to different players or the big three is? Well, there's a lot of selling points. You're, you're playing on CBS once yeah. a week. You're, with you're playing with a great fan base who wants to either they saw you play you you were you know impacting somebody's life if you were one of the NBA veterans or you might be a new player that they haven't seen that they go wow this guy is pretty unbelievable and you can build your reputation you know not a lot of people knew who Andre Emmert was and Andre stepped in um and just played amazing and fans loved him and came to arenas to see him play. Uh, you can build your own reputation and your own legacy. And remember, you're getting paid a lot of money mm -hmm. for 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. It's one game a week. <laughs> and if that doesn't appeal to you as That's a player, true. then you know it's your time to, to retire. If it does appeal to you and you wanna bring your kids on the road or have your family there and they can be you know, involved in, in your career, even at this point, what a beautiful thing to do. That's true. Well, I'm sure that that money selling point is, is obviously a strong selling point to the older guys, but with this new youth movement they have in the big three, I'm sure that should be, we try to make, like you know, for us, we look at it like, 
okay, now t- kids that are 22 years and older can join the big three. We, we really try to, I guess, present the big three as a legit avenue because we really think that it is a legit avenue for someone who is maybe it's not working out in the, the G League or they're coming out as a senior in college and they don't necessarily want to play overseas. Like we think this is a legit avenue to showcase your skills. And I think you make a great point. You really build your own reputation. Andre Emmett did it. David Hawkins did it. Pretty much opened the door for every European or player playing overseas uh, that we have in the big three now. So I think that's a, a very good point there. And we just hope that, you know, resonates with, I guess, the younger crowd. So I, I do too, because it's a great league. It's, it's just a unbelievably competitive league. You know, the four point shot. Now we're going to bring the fire. You're going to have a chance, you know, on those foul plays uh, over the limit to, to go one-on-one and to show your skill. And maybe if you're a young guy, you want to go one-on-one. Maybe if you're an older guy, maybe you want the foul shots. If you're Joe Johnson, nobody wants to guard you. So <laughs> it, it's going to appeal to everybody. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of it. And I'm looking forward to, to getting back on the court with our team. Absolutely. We're excited to see you out there. Well, we appreciate the time. Before we let you go, we want to talk about Nancy Lieberman Charities, first and foremost. Uh, you've expressed your sentiment about Andre Emmett. And, you know, a little while back, you actually uh, built a court in Andre Emmett's name. I guess I just want to hear, like, your thoughts kind of just about the process of that. Um, you've obviously you talked about how much he meant to you, especially over the past couple of years of his life. Uh, but just the process of, of coming up with that, you know, decision to name the court after him. Well, we, Nancy Lumen Charity, we're a children's charity, and we've uh, we've sent over thirty, excuse me, seventy high school seniors to college since two thousand twelve. Amazing. And we've raised uh, almost seven million dollars and, and have given it uh, mostly to uh, to the underserved community, to the African American community. Um, you know these courts that we build and we put uh, the dream courts in, in under-resourced area becomes a safe place. And on it, it's almost like a pop-up classroom because you have STEM, you have civic engagement, you have um, you know readiness for education and we also have Very financial cool. literacy. So we have programming on all these courts and currently uh, 96 courts are open uh, around the country. We have uh, over 4.1, 4.2 million kids right now utilizing our courts through Boys and Girls Clubs, community centers, um, wow. park and rec. So it's really important. And, you know, Andre, when we would fly and we were talking, everything was on the table. Andre and I talked about everything. We talked about the tattoos on his fingers. What did it mean? We talked about his beautiful uh, daughters that he just adored. Uh, we talked about life, love, sex politics, it didn't white, black, it didn't matter. We talked about everything. And it was our open forum of respect. He could say, well, I believe in this. And I'd say like, well, tell me about it. And what do you think? And we just had, it was unbelievable. We would have people change seats on airplanes so we could sit together. We would, (laughs) instead of uh, when we land in a city, they send a car for you. We'd be like, no, we don't need another car. We want to sit in the same car together. We want to talk to each other. And he came to my charity's dream ball and he was like, man, I, always, I, I want to do something like this. You know, there's 700 people in a ballroom. We're raising a million dollars and we're giving it away. And uh, he, um, he always wanted, you know, he always wanted a court. And when he, you know, after he was murdered, um, I talked to his mom, Regina Oliver, and I was like, would it be okay if we do one in Oak Cliff where he grew up and where he played? And we did that. And then we took it a step further and we went to Texas Tech and we said, can we do one in Lubbock in October? You know, so we actually ended up doing two courts for Andre and, you know, uh, Jared Culver, who played at Texas Tech, now playing, you know, with the Wolves. When he heard we were doing this with Coach Beard, he was like, can I, can I help? Can I donate? You know, Regina was there. Uh, Jared's family was there. It, it was unbelievable. Wow. I mean, I love that kid. And, uh, you know, that day I was supposed to take him. We were supposed to go to China. 
and uh, before all the Daryl Morey thing hit. And Andre called me on like a Friday and he's like, hey, you know, I had had some, uh, you know, stem cells and whatnot, you know, PRP with my knee. And he said, can you show me, you know, introduce me to your doctor. So I was there at the time and I was like, well, I'm, I'm with the doctor now. So they scheduled an appointment for Monday. And on Saturday, he called me and he goes, coach. I go, yes, Andre. He goes, will you go with me to the doctor? I'm like, Andre, how, how, how tall are you? He goes, six, five. I go, you big baby. You don't want to go to the doctor. You want me to hold your hand? <laughs> and so we would always just laugh with each other. And I was on the treadmill Monday morning when they called me. I, I about fell off the treadmill because that was like eight in the morning and I was taking him at 11. And I, I, I was having a hard time comprehending what I was being told by the big three that Andre had died. And I was like, no, no, no. I talked to him Saturday, I'm taking him to the doctor. It, it was really um, horrific. And um, I, I really miss him. I miss everything about him. Can't imagine, you know, what you're going through. Obviously, a super tragic loss as as fans of the league, and and even as this podcast for him. I mean, he came on our show after a game. You know, he just played a game where he balled out, had the lead to come back. That was just, I mean, from my perspective, that would just seem like the type of person he was. Very candid, caring, uh, and certainly tragic. He was one of the first players to come on for us. So yeah. you know, for us, that gave us a, a lot of legitimacy and that really helped us, you know, yeah. grow to what we are today. So, you know, absolutely. And, right. and I, I know the league's going to do the right thing with honoring him this season too. Yeah. I, I hope so. Um, I really hope so. He was very special and he had a, a amazing heart. He would never do. He, he just led with love and kindness and faith and was just so open-minded to the possibilities, you know, he was only 37 years old, he was young. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we used to laugh and we would sit and he goes, coach, I'm gonna play for you next year. I'm like, Andre, that's called tampering. And <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask you to not ask me that question. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, okay. Hey, if Corey retires, I'm like, Andre, um, I, I'm, I'm going to one more time remind you that would be tampering and we don't really like to get involved in that. And we, he would just laugh at me. I'm like, Andre, if you want to go have lunch, if you want to talk about movies, if you want to talk about whatever, I'm your person. Don't talk to me as a coach. I'm not giving you our place and I cannot talk to you about playing. <laughs> Well, we certainly would have loved to see that. Can't, you know, Andre Amen in a power uniform. That would be something. I'm sure Coach Cooper wouldn't have, wouldn't have loved that. No, no. And I had to remind him that, that Michael and I were dear friends. Yeah. <laughs> he explained how we went behind his back. I said, it doesn't make for like long lasting relationships. <laughs> so, well, he, Coach he, Cooper had a lot of good things to say about you too when he came on the show. Uh, few weeks ago a lot of good things that he gave you a lot of respect after that championship game well thank you he, he's you know all the coaches in this league are really good and, and they wouldn't be here if they weren't and they understand people it's it's a competitive league and we just all have to work hard uh we we, we really like each other but we want to beat the hell out of each other <laughs> understandably last thing I want you to be able, I don't know if you have any upcoming events or any plans or ideas for Nancy Lieberman Charities, but I want to give the floor to you and just anything that you have coming up, I want you to be able to plug here. Well, thank you. Uh, we are having a virtual event. Thank you for allowing me to say this. And you can go to nancylliebermancharities.org uh, and the virtual event uh, will be an hour and Jay Harris from uh, ESPN, um, Old Dominion Monarch, Jay Harris. <laughs> um, Jay is our MC. He's our host always. So he and I will go back, we'll reminisce about it, and you'll see video of Ice Cube and, and Dr. J and Deion Sanders, Tony Romo, Winona Judd, Bo Derek, Billy Crystal. Over oh the gosh. last 
years. Yeah, it's amazing how many people Incredible. I've met. Um, I, I have used everything in my friendships to bring people um, to Dreamball. And then we'll kind of talk about the things that we've been able to do uh, for, for people around the country. So it's April 29th. It's a Thursday night. Uh, it's uh, 6 to 7 Central Time. But if you go to Nancy Newman Charities, and then that will bridge us to our September Dream Ball, which is our 10-year anniversary. And then that weekend, you guys should go. Uh, we'll have, I can't tell you uh, who's going to, going to be there oh, I oh can't. a little surprise guest um but it's a saturday september 11th and then uh on monday the 13th we have our golf tournament and it's it's amazing like the celebrities that come the athletes that come i'm so grateful they're super amazing they're so congenial with the supporters and we're like i said we're raising money for programming to change the lives of kids that we don't know it's That's a great feeling yeah, it's, it's got to be and doing great things on and off the court, as you always have. Just want to say we really appreciate the time. Obviously, we said at the beginning, you're very busy. You got a lot of things going on. For So for you to come on, it's an honor for us. And, and we can't wait to see what you guys are going to do, you know, this upcoming summer. Thank you. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. We're excited about the season. And uh, maybe you can come inside uh, the, the little mini bubble that we'll be in. I, I, we hope so. If we can, we'll be there. We hope so. Well, thank you. We appreciate everything you do. Thank, thank you, Coach. You Thanks. Bye. All right, guys, that was our interview with Nancy Lieberman. We hope you guys enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. I think, you know, we touched on a lot, like we said in the beginning. And honestly, I'm just super proud of how this episode came out, how this interview came out. And I really look forward to hopefully having Nancy on again in the future to talk about you know, hopefully midseason, how power is doing, making another run at the championship. They always seem like they're always in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I'm just happy that we will get the chance to see her coaching again. And, you know, I, I think I speak for Anthony and I. We both say that we loved watching those power teams compete both on the court and the unity that they shared off the court. So I'm just super excited for that to be back because I, I did miss them a lot. And they were yeah. one, of my, one of my better favorite teams to watch. So I'm just super excited that we were able to have the opportunity to speak with her. But I think that's going to do it for us for this week. We appreciate everybody who listened, whether you're on Dash, on YouTube, you're watching us on YouTube, your preferred podcast platform. We appreciate everybody who's sticking through with us. We know that the big three, we big news is coming on the horizon. We can feel it. Everything that we've heard, it's going to be a very fun couple of weeks coming up. I think April is going to be a big month for a lot of different things. And we're just really looking forward to that. We appreciate everybody who's stuck with us at this point. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.